Lord, we know that um, when we go to your word, that as we read it and mark it and inwardly digest it, it shapes our thinking and then our actions. So, Lord, we just ask that we'd be open to what you want to teach us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, a question for you before I put this back on the screen. What are the images and pictures of God's church, you might find them in the Bible, that really help you to understand uh, the purpose of the church? Because actually how we imagine it is often what we do and it drives what we do and our bias for what we do. And let me just put it out there. There's lots of different ways of viewing the church, uh, but sometimes we miss uh, some critical bits and that's why we're doing the sermon for today. So... This one here is very, very familiar, I think. Um, some of you even know where that is. Um, it's Bolton Abbey, and it's on day one of the walk of the Dales Way. And as a church, we've been thinking about Jesus the way, Jesus the truth, Jesus the life. And as the people of God, uh, before we were even known as Christians, we were called people of the way. When I showed this at 8 o'clock, that's the first time I've been uh, able to do that. I had to try and work out how it all worked. But um, someone who is reasonably senior in years talked about their way. And even now, I suppose the adventure of not knowing what the next twists and turns, the valleys, these sort of uh, mountaintop experiences. It's Psalm 23, isn't it, really? But that is probably one of the most familiar ways for us to think about our faith. But we don't journey alone. Next. What can you see? So some people think of the church like a hospital, like a place of healing. But as I was thinking about this, what department would you focus on? It could be orthopedics or the psychiatric department. But here, um, with baptism in mind, we've done a baptism earlier over there, we've got a maternity, maternity unit, an accident, an emergency. But the church is supposed to be a place of healing. Um, familiar image, teams, body of Christ, each person Different roles, but meant to play together and not against each other. I probably don't need to explain that too much. What's this one? Lifeboat station. Those of you who've done the Growing Leaders course will remember a story about the lifeboat station. And next to the lifeboat station, there's often a place where they would house people that they rescued. And it started out with really good intent in saving people who couldn't swim <laughs> um, to being a social club. So these social clubs that were meant to be life-saving units all the way around our close, lots of them lost their way and they became something else. I haven't put it up here, but the image that comes to mind, I'm not judging anyone in church, okay, but I think probably a poor image of church is a cruise liner. 
it's its own little bubble, its own little world with entertainment and you sort of keep it. And you, you can do that and be completely oblivious in your luxury to what's going on in the outside world. And a word for Holy Trinity Claygate is that we could have that danger if we're not careful. I don't think we do it. But if we're so um, introspective that we're not thinking about those that don't yet belong to Lord Jesus Christ, I think we're a little bit like the cruise liner. And I know it's a bit scary, um, but I think we need to be more like lifeboat stations. What is that? Airport departure lounge. If any of you are just hanging around here, waiting for Jesus to beam you up, Scotty, I think you're missing something quite profound about what God's calling you to do in the here and now. Church must not be just a departure lounge to future glories as glorious as they are. God, whether you're mobile or immobile, has got stuff for you to do in the here and now. This is going to shock you. Church is a war zone. I got this off the internet. I think it's in Gaza. If you just set that image alongside the baptism pool that we've been using this morning, which speaks of death and resurrection, I think it's a profound but powerful prophetic word to us this morning in the midst of death and destruction, Jesus offers us, and not just us here, those in our community who he loves just as much as us, resurrection and life and hope. Life, spiritually speaking, is a battle. Um, and these images of warfare can be uncomfortable and they have been twisted by people of faith throughout the ages, but they're not a reason for us not to use them. We must use them, but we must put them through some godly filters. We've had a couple of um, military-type songs this morning, haven't we? How about this one? Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before Christ the royal master leads against the foe, forward into battle, see his banner go. At the sign of triumph, Satan's host doth flee, on then Christian soldiers, on to victory. I think we have to be quite careful with this. And how true it is that um, this image of crusading has uh, taken a bit of a wrong turn from time to time throughout the ages. It didn't need to. But some of the promises, and people label this at the church and other peoples of faith, they'll tell us, won't they, that so many problems in the world are caused by faith. I say yes to a twisted faith but not to genuine followers of Jesus. The foe are not flesh and blood and human beings. They're some of the motivations that we adopt as societies 
and as rulers that twist things very, very, in, in very, very ugly ways. I, I just um, want us to just to be careful about how we view things. I mean, we, the, that scene there, this is the root of that is a religious conflict. But I know also as a fact, over hundreds of years, yes, there has been conflicts, but Christians and Muslims, this isn't Christians and Muslims, this is Jews and Muslims, but they were able to live alongside each other uh, for years, hundreds of years, and trade with each other and adopt each other's architecture. It didn't always have to be like this, but it is from time to time. It gets stirred up, and I think that's where, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, that the enemy gets a foothold. Verse 12, Ephesians 6, is not about physical foe, but about sinister forces, hidden forces of evil. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I've just been thinking about invisible forces, and this won't connect with lots of you, but we hear about different sorts of warfare out there at the moment. It used to be people with very big guns and those with bigger guns, but how about this image about how people do warfare now? And you might be able to read it, but cyber attacks, and you don't know it's going on, I'm trying to draw the parallel between spiritual attacks. You know that the effects of it, but you don't quite know where it's come from. I think that's a very powerful image that helps me. But how about this one? And some of you might have seen this in your... Well, all of us have seen the second. Maybe not everyone's seen the first image. So the first image, gas masks. I've seen the films. I've never been in a culture that's had to put gas masks on. But again, an invisible foe. But all of us, sadly, here, a couple of years ago, were wearing a variation of that. And it's as if evil forces is like a virus that affects, or a gas, a poisonous gas that affects society. And the Lord has given us the antidote for these things, the inoculation, if you like, but we need to be wise to it. I asked um, my son, he made the mistake of phoning me up the other day. He is ordained. I said, Tim, you've got a minute to give me a sermon on Ephesians 6 because I'm preaching on it on Sunday. And I'd got all my slides together. I got all my slides together. And this was the first thing that came out of his mouth. He says, Dad, there's a quote by John Wimber that says something like this. He said, the church is called to be a family, so a community. And he'd not seen my slides, okay. And I, I think this is a weird way in, by the way, to talk about this passage. He says, the church, this is John Wimber's quote that he pointed me to, called to be a family, like together, community, a hospital, a school, so I haven't mentioned that yet, but I, was, I should have mentioned a school that was on my script, okay, which I failed to say, about equipping, and John Winmer goes, and an army, which is speaking of mission. 
the church better be an army because whether we realize it or not, we're in the middle of a war. So that's what he shared with me, not knowing that I was using all these images this morning. He talked about the church and maybe our church being a sleeping giant in prayer needing to be woken up. So in this spiritual war, what's the significance about the armor of God? Verse 11, I'm going to read it again. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Unchallenged, the invisible hand of evil is at work. Prayer is our loving and powerful weapon that brings godly change. By God's grace, we try to love the unlovely and to hate sin. The God we believe in is more powerful than the forces of evil. I find this verse from 1 Peter 5 8 really helpful. Um, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. So where do we see these negative and evil forces at work? Well, I um, sometimes see it when we're doing big church events that are trying to reach out to people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, it might be a silly thing, I don't know whether I said, but on Friday I came, because I was setting up for 8 o'clock with my PowerPoint. I don't normally do this, and I've got all the cables and everything in place, and I came in luckily early this morning, and someone had tidied all the cables away, and we switched on the sound desk, and it wasn't working. There was a few other things that weren't working too. And this is minor things in terms of spiritual skirmishes. But I just got the impression that I wasn't, there was something out there not wanting me to show some of these images, which I know will speak to some of you this morning. But also, maybe when there's disagreements and conflict in our families, in our churches, in our local community. We've managed to fall out very well as a community over a supermarket just recently, but these give opportunities, I think, for the devil to take a hold in the community, because if folks aren't getting on, this is, becomes a very unpleasant place for us to live and uh, work and have our being. There's um, some sickness, I think, um, sickness comes with sometimes old age. I'm not speaking about that, but there's some sicknesses that do not have godly origin. Unforgiveness, spiritual compromise, sexual sin, lust, greed, pride, they say before a fall, lying, cheating, oppression, maybe extreme poverty. People trafficking, modern slavery, faith-wise, maybe indifference and unbelief, 
some who twist or abandon the truth, which we find in Scripture. Maybe those who are lazy about or compromise their faith. And I've not come across this loads here, but I have in other contexts. People dabbling in occult practices. It's a battle to establish God's kingdom. Jesus and his name are so powerful. We pray for protection, the armor of God, but also for transformation of ourselves and the communities we belong to. There's a battle for our minds. We want God to transform our minds. A battle for our hearts. We need healing and softening. A battle for our bodies. Maybe if we're lazy in our faith, a battle for our souls. So I'm going to move on. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Um, as um, a young family, with, I don't know if they had four children at that point. We may have done. But um, we used to, I don't know, struggle to get them outside, uh, get them out of the house in the morning. Probably no one else has had that problem. But uh, there was one very super holy family in our church who had four children as well. But they not only got their children out of the house, before they got out of the house, they used to gather together and pray. And the prayer they used to pray was putting on the full armor of God. Now, I don't know how it's turned out for that family, but just imagine that discipline, that daily discipline of dressing themselves spiritually as well as putting the clothes on. We struggled to complete the first task and we didn't quite get onto the second task. But there's something quite profound about being fitted um, for the world out there. So... We're going to go through quickly the armour of God. Stand firm there with the belt of truth buckled round your waist. Truth is the belt that holds all the other bits of the armour together. It's about integrity and honesty. It's vital to the Christian faith. But it's also about the scriptures um, which we, um, we take and we inwardly digest, which counter some of the lies of the enemy. Satan is the father of lies, it says in John chapter 8. His accusations, his lies, his condemnation, um, hopelessness is sown, and maybe a self-loathing as well. And Jesus says, you know, you know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So I think it might be helpful for you to hear these words that I'm going to say, but I believe are true, and the Lord says to you, you are loved, you are chosen. You are forgiven. Your life has meaning and purpose. The breastplate of righteousness, it's as if we take Christ's righteousness, his breastplate on. None of us earn this or are good enough to have it, but it, projects, it protects our vital organs, our, our heart. Um, it comes through faith in Jesus. And I think it protects us against all Satan's accusations and charges. Shoes fitted with the gospel, taking good news. Um, I love the passage in Romans 10 talking about our beautiful feet, how beautiful the feet are those who take good news. And as I reflect on this, all of us need directed feet for the Lord to direct our path. But I think there's something quite profound. Unless you stand on my toes, my feet are the only ones that can stand in this space. And the Lord calls you to be and to stand in many places that I can't be. 
God's witness. And I suppose my word to you this morning is stand firm in the truth of Jesus. Make sure that you're standing on solid ground. The shield of faith, I think this is one of the things that um, can grow. (laughs) So (laughs) if you can imagine it, um, you get a choice. I think some of us start off with a very little shield, actually. And we've almost got to practice our faith muscles to get a bigger shield, more foolhardy as we've got a shield and we never use it. But God calls us to grow in the faith. And then helmet of salvation, protecting our minds and our thinking. What we think is often uh, the start of what we do and who we are and how we behave. And then finally, uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, which we'll find in Scripture. But this is the only offensive weapon. I don't think we hit people with our shields or our helmets, although we possibly could. But um, I find this other quote um, helpful to me and in thinking about the Word of God. For the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. This makes it really important uh, to read, to mark, to inwardly digest, to understand God's Word in Scripture. And it's the perfect tool to expose ungodly thoughts and actions. When the Romans designed their armour... Did they get it completely right, do you think? So it's a bit of a trick question. There's a bit of the armor and the bodies that is not protected. And I'm going to give you a slight clue, okay? And um, I just want to say, when there's um, disunity in the church... Um, that's almost, I mean, we can get attacked from outside and spiritual forces, etc. But maybe some of the deeper wounds are when we least expect it, and they come from the people that you're supposed to be uh, serving alongside. And I just wonder, spiritually speaking and in prayer, who's got your back? Who's got your back? I think we're quite interesting times in the church, and I, and um, people are f- having different opinions about doctrine and church practice around um, same-sex blessings. And I think we've got to be very, very careful, actually. And whilst I have a particular view, I think I'm called to pray for and bless people who are also children of God that share a slightly different view to me and it's tricky but isn't that a higher calling even to pray for and bless those I mean Jesus talks about praying and blessing for those that hate us those that persecute us and what I'm talking about here is probably really really important but maybe not quite in the same league God calls us to radical holiness but also radical generosity. Standing together, 
Who's got your back in prayer? So that leads me on to my final slide. And prayer, you'll notice um, that's someone in the army. (laughs) I think lots of people in the army learn to do very fervent prayers. Why would you do that? (laughs) Well, I think you're probably um, often staring death in the face, aren't they? But the calling is to, to pray. To pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So pray continually. Pray for all the Lord's people, especially those you find difficult or disagree with. Pray that you, you and I would speak fearlessly about Jesus and his gospel. And although there are different forms and ways of praying, today we've heard that prayer is a battle. That prayer changes the heavenly realms. In this prayer battle, we need to protect ourselves and each other. And just two final questions and thoughts for you to ponder. Firstly, what bits of the spiritual armor have you neglected to put on? What bits of the spiritual armor have you neglected to put on? And secondly, if life is a spiritual battle, how might that shape your prayers and spiritual practices? So if life is a spiritual battle, how might that shape or reshape how you pray and what you do?